Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Um, Our last episode was our part two for... um, talking about diversity in our field. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one or even our very, very first episode um, talking about diversity, stop, go listen, and then come back. So today on the show, we have Danny Augustine, who we are so excited to talk with. We are going to be talking all about salary as an SLP, some of the money stuff that I feel like we don't talk about enough. So we're really excited to dig in with her. Danny, thank you so much for being on with us today. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. I was just telling you, I was just thinking about like, oh, I like listen to this podcast. So this yeah. is like, it's like a full circle type of deal, you know? It's so fun <laughs> to meet people on Instagram and then actually get to, I mean, we're not in person, obviously, but it feels <laughs> the closest we can be in person. So it's really cool. And it comes through like that. Um, so I guess, can we start just you telling us a little bit about your background as an SLP and how you came into private practice? Yes. So honestly, um, if any of you listening don't know who I am, so yes, Danny Augustine, my real name's Danelle. It's complicated. So we go by Danny. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I currently, I have my own private practice. I used to be just like a solo private practice, just me. I just hired my first independent contractor. Um, But I still kind of, I like to tell everyone for me, my goal in private practice is to keep it small. Mm -hmm. Um, My biggest goal was really seeing the kids that I wanted to see, having the flexibility over my own schedule, increasing my income because my husband and I, we have a lot of financial goals that we want to meet mm-hmm. and also being able to pursue some other things that I really enjoy. So one thing that I really enjoy that if any of you have seen me or heard of me on Instagram, it's uh, I'm go by speech goods on Instagram, such a random name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I talk all about just financial literacy and understanding how money works. And my goal was really for all SLPs to just be like doing their dang thing and become millionaires and like revolutionize the field. So I just get really, really excited talking about all those things. That's awesome because we We deserve it. I love it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All right. So do you think you can start by talking about, I guess, some basic areas or the most common areas that SLPs tend to struggle with in the areas of finance? That is a great question. So I think, and it's something, it's so funny how, you know, it's things that I think a lot of people struggle with, not just SLPs, but there's just like a personality, like, and yes, like I'm using the stereotype, like, eh, it's okay. But it's true. Um, there's, <laughs> there's just like a person. 
personality type that you see a lot in mm-hmm. SLPs. I mean, we're a predominantly female field. Love my SLP dudes, but mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Right. Um, a lot of us, we're, you know, we're, a lot of us are high achievers. You didn't get into this field because you are stupid and that you can't accomplish goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also really great at just being flexible and thinking on our feet. Like, those are great things that not everyone else has, but the irony of it is I think we're so good at taking care of other people and being flexible with other people and creating goals with other people for other people, but not so much ourselves, especially when it comes to our financial health. So one area, I don't know if I'm can, I'll list them all, but the biggest one that comes to mind is just a mindset around money. And I know that sounds super general, but I think so many of us view money in this like transaction type of way. Like I give it up and then I, you know, I, it's like an expense. Like I I give up my money and I get this thing. I give up my money and I get this thing. And I really like this idea of showing people that money really is a tool. And when you use it intentionally, there's actually, there's actually, I did a talk with, we did an event for, um, PSL or, pre-SLPs, I don't know if that's a term, but that wanted to go into grad school. And the way that I explained like money and even when I was talking about student loans, I was like, it's like a tool. It's like a hammer. You can use a hammer to build a dream home. You can use a hammer to, to build homes for the poor and make a park bench for someone to sleep on. I don't know. Or you can bash your own head in with it. Right. (laughs) So true. And the funny thing is, and I really like that hammer analogy because I think it really describes a mindset. If you give a hammer to a toddler, someone who does not know what the hammer is for, doesn't understand their body, doesn't understand how to use it, they're going to hurt themselves. But if you give the hammer to a master craftsman, to someone who's been trying to understand how to use this particular tool to work for him and to create something for himself, he can build a beautiful house. And I think it's the same thing with money. I think we make, I think we, we often get that mindset around money really wrong, especially when we kind of approach things with this scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I talk a lot about with other people that if I'm talking about private practice, I talk with Jenna Castro-Casbon a lot. She's awesome from the independent clinician. Mm -hmm. Um, Has she, she's been on the show. Yeah. Yeah, A couple of times, like twice actually. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. She's she's such a guru. Every time Claire and I talk to her, we're like, oh my, of any guests we have, I guess I should just put it out that way. As soon as we're done recording, we like hardcore fangirl. But I think she was, she was, I think one of our very first guests. She was. And she's she's the reason, she's the reason both of us started our own private practices. Like Mm -hmm. she's just a huge, she's such a role model for both of us. We love her. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm going to get to meet her in person because she's coming down to New Orleans for Money Girl. And I'm, I have to contain myself. I love, right. I love her. <laughs> okay. so I love jealous. her. And then just like as a person, because that, like that's something that it's, especially if we're talking about private practice and starting your own business, that's something that's really hard for us to right. do mm-hmm. is to get out of the scarcity mindset, whether it be with getting clients in the door or whether it be with money, right. this idea of like, I have to hoard everything that I have because I'm not going to have any more in the future. I might not have any more in the future. Right. And mm-hmm. I think I find a lot of SLPs have this. And I think a lot of it is because we've been, a lot of us, you know, we didn't get to this place where being irresponsible mm-hmm. being willy nilly with things. Um, but whenever you start trying to grow your money, whether you want to open a business or not, 
if you if you never want to open a business, you still got to put your money somewhere to be able to let it grow, right? And so I think that scarcity mindset is is a real hindrance to a lot of people because mathematically it's not going to benefit you. Shoving all your money in a savings account, you ain't you ain't gonna it ain't gonna do much for you. Mm. Like it's just not. Um, so that mindset around money, I think, is really hard for a lot of SLPs. I think um, understanding the mechanics of money. So I get a lot of questions about budgeting and about retirement. Mm-hmm. Those are the two big things that I get so many questions about. And I think we get intimidated very quickly by those things. Um, but the funny thing is, you know, money isn't something that it's, we weren't really taught about it in graduate school. A lot of us weren't taught about it in high school, but it bleeds into our everyday lives. Like the number one cause for divorce in this country is money. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Whether you want to talk about it or not, it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And having, I think a lot of SOPs don't realize the potential we have either. Like we just were so focused on like being a speech pathologist, going to grad school, and then I'm doing the speechy thing. And like, okay, like I'm a speech pathologist, like that's what little Danny dreamed of whenever I was out all those hours of grad school applications. But I don't think we realize the potential that we have, like within ourselves Mm -hmm. and within uh, the financial wealth and the financial influence that we can have on others and on our field and on the people that we serve. Yeah, that's so true. I think the mindset thing like so resonates with me because mm-hmm. I am, I am, a, I'm definitely one of those people that like, just likes to look at the number of my savings like every day, because I just want to make sure it's still there. I just keep <laughs> it there. And I just want to look at it. And my fiance is always telling me like, I need to move it. I need to like, you shouldn't keep uh, whatever you do with it. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it is, it's all about mindset. It's not like anything that's happened to me or like, anything crazy like that. It's just how I view it. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting point. And, um, I'm curious kind of going off the cuff with this, how, how would you recommend someone change their mindset? Like, how do you, how do you change that? I'm just curious if you have, like, I know that's kind of a big question, but (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, with anything, no, no, that's a great question. I think like with anything, if, if you want to change, the end result, you need to look at the process, right? Right. So if the end result of how you feel about money is, and we all have our tendencies, okay? There's there's actually in my budget without burden course, in the first module, I have everyone take a money personality quiz, which uh, if you remind me, I'll send you, I'll send you the link to the little quiz. You you just have to put in your, uh, it's like somebody else. You got to put in your email to take it or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's free. Um, about like what your money personality is, because you really need to understand why you feel the way that you do. Mm -hmm. A lot of times our money habits and our money beliefs are deeply rooted in how we grew up and the way that our parents handled money. Mm -hmm. There's actually a great book. uh, I think it's by Morgan Housel. It's called the psychology of money. Yeah. I highly recommend that book. It's a great like audio book. Uh, like an audible book too, yeah. if, mm-hmm. if you're if you don't have the time to like sit down and read a book. Yeah. But it's super interesting just because I think we, with everything else, like we look at our past and we look and, and we look and see like, how does, how does like how I grew up affect, you know, like, like how I am with like food or something. Yeah. Like some mm-hmm. people have some serious difficulties with food. Like maybe they have some like emotional things attached to right. food, like whatever it is. And we look at our past for that, but yet 
we don't look at that for money. Right, right. There's a big conversation going on, especially with minorities or people who did not grow up with money yeah. and how they have trouble. They have a lot, a lot of trouble under, like understanding that wealth mindset. And mm-hmm. yeah. there was actually, I did a podcast episode with Ebony Green, who she does, she's like, she has a very successful private practice. She's got um, online court. She's like a hoss. Okay. She's cool. <laughs> um, that was, you know, she talked about how she grew up very poor and how that was something that was really hard for her yeah. is to like allow herself to get nice things and right. allow herself to like, just think about money in a very different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would just encourage anyone if you, dip, and some, some people spend too much money. Like, right. It is what it is, Mm -hmm. Uh, but really getting to the roots of like, what is it that's making me feel this way? Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought up that question too, because as a female dominated field, Mm -hmm. that's a thing. Like there are research studies that have been done on women with money. I I think, yeah, I I think I spoke about them in, in my money guy ebook women. First of all, we are better investors because we're not as like flissy, flossy, floozy as men are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to get more security from money than mm-hmm. men do. Interesting. And that's actually a big topic in this, in the psychology of money book yeah. is like, what do you gain from money? Like some people gain fun. Like yeah. they think of money as something to be spent and to have fun with. Yeah. Some people see money as security. So money is something to be saved. Right. Uh, some people, and you, you'll see like your, your business owners and it's a, and it's a very interesting discussion um, talking to SLPs when they're opening businesses or private practice, going from that like employee mindset to a business owner investor right. mindset. Oh yeah. Uh, they'll see money as a tool that can be grown. Mm-hmm. And so those are all very and everyone who's listening, you can kind of like think of where you fall, yeah. I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on that spectrum. Yeah. But I find it fascinating because I feel so many, because I, when I do kind of one-on-one calls and coaching with SLPs, so many of them are in that scarcity security mindset and not, and it, it, they have to really be like coached and helped to get right. to that idea of like, not like, oh, I'm going to go be irresponsible and buy a Bentley on my $20,000 a year <laughs> salary. Right. <laughs> Like whoever made that loan, but anyways, um, <laughs> but being, you know, but also having that abundance mindset, which right. I think is so, so, so important. Yeah. That's, I also think Claire, like just taking the plunge, right? Yeah. Like, cause a lot of people are very hesitant or at least I know I was, cause I didn't even think about anything, right? Like you do your C, you land a CF and you're like, great. I finally get to make money instead of working for free. Like right. grad school was, right. and then Um, like I know specifically for my school district, we frequently have people coming in to talk to us about retirement and like Mm -hmm. how you manage your money and it's paid for through the district and whatever. And I know like my first four years, I was like, I don't need to talk to them. Like, yeah, I'm fine. And then I was like, all right, I should probably be an adult and talk to them. So Mm -hmm. when I did, I sat down and I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Things should look differently. I should open up this versus this and adjust the amounts I'm putting into whatever, but it's very overwhelming, especially because like you, if you don't learn about it, you're not knowledgeable about it. So you hear big terms like 401k or a Roth IRA or a 403b and all of these different things. And 
yeah, it's very overwhelming. And I always hear the same thing, like for our Mm -hmm. age group. So like Rachel and I are six years out of grad school. So Mm -hmm. like, I think around us and like, especially people right out of grad school, Mm -hmm. you're not used to making money and you feel like, oh, I'm going to be 50 in 25 years. So like, that's not even, that's not even something I think about. Right. It's like so out of reach and it's so, and the money is so new that you just want to like keep it in its yeah. little safe space. <laughs> At least I feel like that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to be better about it, but I think that's a challenge. A lot of people go through is just the newness of having mm-hmm. money and feeling like retirement is so far. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about retirement. What Danny, what tips and habits, I guess, would you, um, suggest to start kind of putting in place when it comes to retirement and saving for retirement? So to actually to piggyback off of what you said, yeah, time is actually your best friend. Mm-hmm. The irony of younger people being like, oh, like that's far away. I'm not going to worry about it. It's actually way more beneficial for you to start early. Right. The later you start, the more money you're going to have to put up front to you're going to have to actually put into your account. So if you start investing, even like right when you get out of school, even if it's just a few dollars a month, the growth that you're going to get on that money is going to be exponential. So for anybody out there who like is hearing me talk and they're like, eyes are glazed over. I mean, you just like, (laughs) (laughs) so if you invest your money in the stock market, so let's just say like, like a basic fund, I'm not even going to get into types of funds, like a basic fund, Um, there's plenty of resources where you can learn about that. The market gives an average return of about seven to 10% a year. A lot of professionals will say, um, use the 8%. It's like seven to 8%. I just say 7.5 because it's in the middle, um, accounting for inflation. Cause we know inflation goes up every year, right? It's usually about 3% every year. Um, this past year, unfortunately, it's been seven percent. Yeah. <laughs> We've been feeling that, and we haven't been seeing inflation like that since like the seventies or something oh, insane. Um, but anyways, so what happens is, so say you have a hundred dollars and you get seven percent growth. So now you that's, after one year you have one hundred and seven dollars. That's without you doing anything. All right, and then this next year, whatever seven percent of one hundred and seven dollars is, I don't know. We'll just say it's ten dollars. I don't know. Oh no, it's ten dollars. I don't know. Yeah, it's about. So now you have $117 and then you're going to, whatever 7% of $117 is, you're going to grow. And it just keeps building on each other. They actually say, just to give a little bit of motivation to you guys, your first $100,000 is the most difficult part of investing. So getting your first $100,000 in your retirement accounts and your taxable brokerage accounts or anything like that. Those are the most, that's like the hardest milestone to hit. Mm-hmm. because a lot of that is going to be you just throwing money in there. Mm-hmm. But once you hit a hundred thousand dollars, that interest that you're gaining, I mean, 7% on a hundred thousand dollars, that's $7,000. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it just capitalizes. And they say, you really only need like 10 to 15 years. Once you've got that first 100 grand invested, even if you don't invest another penny. So the wow. earlier you start, the less that you have to put in. Right. So that was my first thing. Start as early as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's my first thing. Second thing, I can get off track a lot. So you're everybody <laughs> listening, you'll just have to excuse me. The second thing is um, don't be intimidated by the names of things for retirement. 
I swear anything, any field that is male dominated, they name everything the dumbest, most complicated right. terms. <laughs> Make it confusing, as confusing as possible. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. Okay. So these finance guys will be like, do you dollar cost average? Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. All dollar cost averaging means is that instead of instead of investing one giant lump sum, uh-huh. so say you know, instead of investing ten thousand dollars in one lump sum, yeah, you invest, you know, whatever ten thousand dollars is divided by 12 months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now I'll do math. Uh, <laughs> <I do. laughs> uh, whatever ten thousand dollars is divided by 12, we'll say that's like what, like 900 bucks. Yeah. Uh, Dollar cost averaging just means that you're investing nine hundred. You know, you invest that nine hundred dollars a month for twelve months instead of wow. investing one lump sum, yeah. which most of us naturally do because most of us right. don't have ten grand to invest. To just throw, but like, right. right? Like, if women were heading that up, like, yeah. we would have never called it. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm serious. I think that really intimidates people. It does, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do that." And they right. they don't even know. Yeah. Right. It's like you probably, if someone asks you that, boo, if you're investing in retirement every month, you are dollar cost averaging the poop out of that. So you just go for it. Okay. <laughs> uh, or even silly things like uh, 401k, 403b. Right. All those are, that is like the portion of the documentation where it was written. So a 401k, it is it is like section 401 subsection K of the document that created the 401k into existence. That's why it's called a 401k. Never knew that. Never knew that. (laughs) Never knew that. Same with 403b. Yeah. So like once you kind of just get a little bit and it doesn't take a lot, like all of this is like less than sick theory math. If I can do it, anybody can. (laughs) Um, It takes just getting just that little bit of knowledge and sort of taking it from this like big scary thing that I don't know anything about to, you know, just bringing it down from the clouds and being like, oh, like this really, like this really isn't that scary. Makes it so, 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 so much easier. Mm -hmm. Another last thing I want to say about retirement is there's this huge debate and you still see it everywhere in the finance world about if I should invest or, or pay off debt. There's a huge debate upon it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of different opinions in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, My thing is, if you are being responsible with your money, if you're organized, if you're on a budget, however it is you want to do it, don't stress yourself out over that. Mm -hmm. Some people prefer to pay off debt before they start investing. Some people invest while they pay off debt simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it has a lot of different factors in it. And I think I've talked to a lot of people and that decision paralyzes them mm-hmm. and then it's been six yeah. months and you haven't done anything yeah. right it's like whoa, 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 whoa hold on hold up boo hold on mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so don't get caught up yeah. in like oh I should do this this or this a lot of times like you're never going to regret putting money towards your debt or putting money mm-hmm. into you know responsible investments right. um don't let those sorts of decisions completely paralyze you a lot of times that type of stuff is it's highly opinion based or highly based on your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are just more debt averse. Like I really don't like debt. So, and I had like, I had like $52,000 in loans and I knew I could pay it off in two years mm-hmm. if I just like still went to the grind. Yes. So for me, I was like, I'll just pay it all off and get out of my life. Cause like, I really hated having that debt. Yeah. 
But for someone else, they may not feel that way. That doesn't mean you go spend it all at Sephora. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, instead of putting all $500 towards your debt, maybe you put 500, 250 towards your debt and 250 in the market. And there you go. Mm -hmm. So that's just like another little caveat and a big, a big discussion that I hear Mm -hmm. SLPs really, really feeling like intimidated by and halting their progress. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess going off of that, because you mentioned the loans, can you talk to us a little bit about student loan forgiveness? Because I know that's kind of a hot topic right now with um, like interest rates and payments being paused and then extended. And then are things going to be forgiven? Or I guess, what do you have to share about that? Or what would you recommend? Yes. So the ones, the stories that break my heart that I hear they always begin or end with this phrase. I just didn't know. Always, always. And those are the ones that I'm like, oh, like I just heard for them. I heard for them. I did an episode, she's actually an OT um, and she talks about finance and, and whatnot as well. And that was her, that was her story was she has six figures in loans because she went to a private graduate program and she was just like, I just didn't know. Like I went to this grad program, like all the, like, like, oh, I just, oh, I just thought it'd be fine. Um, with, in reference to the student loan forgiveness, you know, a lot of questions I get are like, oh, well, I'll just get the 10 year forgiveness without doing any research, without knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have spoken about the 10 year forgiveness plan before, Huh. Now I have to, to people who are considering it, mm-hmm. I'll put it to you this way. The program is very controversial. I, I don't care your political leanings or whatever, whoever's in, whoever's in office, however, the president farts could potentially change mm-hmm. how they deal with the program. <laughs> like it just is what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying it does work. The current administration, it's the year 2022. The current administration has made a lot of progress with improving the program. Um, but who knows what the next administration will do? Like mm-hmm. maybe they'll continue that progress. Maybe they won't. So I always tell people that who are kind of in that before phase, like they're looking at schools. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, 10 years is a long time to commit to. Yeah. It's a very long time to commit to. You have no idea if you're going to want to stay at that job, mm-hmm. which student loan forgiveness, that the 10 year public student loan forgiveness is the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to, it's usually you need to work in some sort of like nonprofit for SLPs. That's going to be nine times out of 10. It's going to be a school. Mm-hmm. There are also SLPs who, if you work for like a nonprofit Mm-hmm. clinic or like a non-profit hospital you really need to research that on your own though but it needs to be a non-profit mm-hmm. um and again or typically a school usually you're going to hear people going for that forgiveness working in a school but yeah. say you hate the schools right well now okay well I took out two hundred thousand dollars in debt and I'm making forty five thousand dollars a year my student loan payment is the same as my rent I hate this job but I like I need the forgiveness. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always just tell everybody who's considering going into it, not necessarily somebody who's, uh, who's already kind of in it, but if you're considering going into it, thinking about 10 years, thinking about, you cannot predict what this program is going to look like in 10 years. You Mm -hmm. you really just can't. It's a very, it's a very messy political thing or, you know, whatever. Um, 
And then also it highly limits where you can work. So say you do decide you want to start your own private practice or say you want to go work for a private practice or whatever it is, or say you don't even want to be an SLP anymore. I don't know. You want to go sell real estate or something. Mm -hmm. um, you're just significantly limiting your options. Now there is a five-year uh, student loan forgiveness program. It's the teacher one. I believe it's for $17,500. Um, that one, I know a lot of people have had success with a friend of mine who is, she's a teacher, not an SLP, um, but she got hers a couple years ago. Um, that one is a five year. So you need to work at some sort of like, but you need to work at like a title one school or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and you would need to be there for five years to get your forgiveness. So even with that, always read the fine print. Right. He with the most knowledge <laughs> will make the best decision. Right. Always read the fine print. I find people, they go, we go into these things and we're not, we we're taking on these huge commitments right. and we're not even sure about like what, what the heck is even like going on with it. Right. Um, all in the name of getting into grad school, which I'm all about getting into grad school. I want you to get into grad school, but I also don't want you to hate yourself. Exactly. I don't want, you know, like, I don't want you five years from now, you to want to punch current you in the face. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true. And a lot of times I feel like, I mean, I remember it. You just go through the motions, you mm -hmm. go through the motions to get into grad school. You go through the motions to get your first job. And then you start to realize like what the job really is mm -hmm. and like what you actually really want to do. And yeah, I can't imagine I've gone through like three different settings already and I haven't been in the field for very long. So mm -hmm. I can't imagine being so restricted, but that's just me. So if I had gone into it kind of blind, I wouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. um, sure. So switching gears just a little bit, kind of coming back to like private practice and kind of like side hustle type gigs. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us about passive income. Cause I've seen some of your posts on it and just what does it mean first of all, and how can it be useful for us as SLPs and maybe even some like suggestions on what we can do to make a passive income? Yes. So passive income, it's a huge buzzword right now in like the money fire community. If you're not aware of fire, fire stands for financial independence, retire early. Um, some people are even changing the R to relax. So financial independence, oh, relax. <laughs> um, because you know, you can, you can be retired, but not like, still right. doing but anyways, <laughs> um, passive income is super, super great because it's, you're not having to actively trade your time for money. Mm -hmm. So passive income is really what, you know, when you see people who are like, oh, I went to Hawaii and I traveled and I did this stuff, um, they're likely bringing in some form of passive income, right? In mm -hmm. fact, when you retire, you're bringing in passive income. Maybe that's through a pension. Maybe that's through uh, returns on your investments because you've been investing over time. Maybe you have rental property. Uh, maybe you have some sort of like online deal, uh, which I'll talk about that in a second, but you're just not, you're not trading your time for money. Right. One mistake I think people have about passive income is that it's like easy. They're like, oh, like it's passive, like whatever, it's fine, it's fine. No, no, <laughs> it, it's still, you know, a lot of people work very hard to, to get those passive income streams established. Like 
selling products or selling things online, or you, you see SLPs doing it now, a TP, three SLP examples, uh, TPT stores, selling online courses, um, especially courses that don't have to be done live. Because again, they're not trading their time for money. Those are, those are things that you, know, you make it once and you can sell it multiple times and continue mm -hmm. to create income off of it. Um, or even podcasts, like you can monetize a podcast. So we record this episode one time. And if you've got monetization strategies in place, that episode can continue making money from now on. Uh, same with like things like posting content to YouTube. So the important thing about passive income is really getting some of those income streams established if you want time flexibility. I think a lot of us, a lot of us, I mean, who doesn't want more time, mm -hmm. right? Like always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like who do not want more time? Like all more time. And again, this is a highly dominated female field. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, not everyone, but a lot of us have kids, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to be able to have that time with your kids. A lot of people that want to go into private practice, the reason they wanted to do private practice is because they wanted more time with their kids. They didn't want to be tied down. Right. So I think it's not just useful for, it's useful for anyone, but especially for SLPs, because I feel like a lot of the dissatisfaction that I hear that SLPs are having with the field have to do with being under somebody's thumb, under somebody's schedule, somebody's schedule and doing what somebody else tells them they needed to do. Mm -hmm. So if you create a passive income stream, you're not like handcuffed to one particular job. And one little caveat for our field, I find a lot of people are very happy when they get to do more independent contractor work, mm -hmm. uh, like being an independent contractor for the early intervention system, or maybe you're like PRNing at a hospital. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people really, really enjoy the freedom and flexibility in that. Um, but sometimes that work is less consistent. So maybe you can even build, build a life for yourself where you've got some passive income streams. You're still doing therapy through independent contract work because uh, you're not necessarily hand, handcuffed to one particular job. Uh, and that's really what passive income does. It gives you, it gives you freedom and it gives you flexibility. I think, you know, we also, I think people also need to recognize that it may take time to build up passive income streams. It's not just this automatic, like, oh yeah, I did it. Like, mm -hmm. oh good, I have passive income. Um, but I, I wish, right? Right. <laughs> right, I wish. But I would always encourage, I always encourage SLPs, especially when I do one-on-one -on -one sessions, is like, what's something that you like and what's something that you enjoy? Yeah. Your girl is not going to open up a TPT store. Mm -hmm. I suck at making things cute. I think any cute therapy ideas. I'm the most boring therapist ever. I mean, I'm obnoxious and I'm fun, mm -hmm. but like, I do not think of cute, like no print, you know, like, right. no, oh gosh, I'm terrible at that. Right. Like I can't decorate. I'm terrible at colors. I hired somebody to help me pick the colors for my house. So it didn't look like a rainbow hot mess. <laughs> okay, so you need to find out, you know, when you're thinking of passive income streams, like find things that you're good at, yeah. things that you enjoy, um, especially if it's things that you're going to have to put in a little bit more time investment up front yeah. Yeah. Um, and finding what your strengths are. Yeah, absolutely. That. That's such good advice. I feel like we, Rachel and I both have like a couple things on the side. Like we, we both work full time and then we mm -hmm. do our private practice, which isn't by any means passive income, but it's, it's a secondary. Additional income, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so even, even that, like we talk about it all the time 
as SLPs. And I talk to my grad students about it all the time. Like there are so many opportunities out there as an SLP. And I think so many people think like, oh yeah, I just get, I get this job and that's what I have, but there are so many other things you can do. Like the course that you could, you could run a course if you wanted, like if you're really passionate about a certain area, um, there's just so much you can do. And I feel like I'm discovering new things all the time. And I'm really grateful awesome. to be an SLP yeah. for that reason. Honestly, I think we have a really, really cool job in the sense that it gives us so many opportunities. So yeah, our skill set is yes. redonk. Right. You just need to get outside of the box. Right. Like don't put yourself in a box. And I think exactly. our field puts us in a box a lot of the totally. times. Yes. yes. Agreed. Um, yep. And sometimes like you just got to have an idea and run with it. That's how a lot of these, I mean, these big names like Teresa Richard, Hallie Vulcan, they're like just doing their own dang thing. I know they're doing what they're passionate about and they're giving so much to the SLP world. And they're just, I don't know. Hallie was another one that when we had on the podcast, she got off clear and I were like, Oh my gosh, she's She's great. She's awesome. You have to like listen back and take it all in. Right. Truly though. Yeah. Well, Danny, we appreciate your time and your guidance. And truly this has been awesome. Make sure you guys check out because Danny, you have your own podcast. So make sure you check out um, SLP goods. That's what it's called. Correct. It's uh, speech goods. Speech goods. I'm sorry. One word speech goods, one word, check it out. Cause her podcasts are awesome. Really kind of centering more on that finance side of things. Um, and then on Instagram as well. So thank you so much. Thank y'all so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.